All right. We are in John 20. We're going to go 19 through 31. Uh, I am Andrew. Anthony called me handsome, which was awesome. Thank you. Uh, I do help him co-lead for the uh, Redemption Communities, the RCs, if you have any questions about how to get involved there. Uh, also, Saturday morning Bible study is mine. They tell me the Friday morning's better, but I'm there on Saturday mornings at press, so you're welcome to come. Before I read, I also want to say happy birthday to Genesee Elder. That's my wife. She's amazing, and she deserves that. So page 529, if you have the blue Bible that's under your seat or the one next to you, that's the page you're going to. I think we've killed enough time for you to get to where we need to be, so I'll go ahead and read it for us. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, Andrew. Great reader right there. Hey, my name is Josh. I'm the pastor here at Redemption North Mountain. Uh, the Bible is just a sweet, sweet gift from the Lord that we get to sit under and listen to the Spirit teach us through this passage. So I'm excited. I love the Bible. I also love air conditioning, which we don't have right now. So... Uh, Sorry. There's kind of three problems that go wrong with AC. I'm not an HVAC guy, but I'm, there's a battery in the thing back there. When we're trying to push it, we go down. We changed that, so that didn't work. We said, okay, it's something up on the roof of the AC units. Somebody went up there, and the AC units were stolen, which is, what? I know. Like, you can't even be mad. you just like, I want to find that guy and hire him right now, because anybody that can come up with that plan, follow through with that, with that level of courage to go up here and steal AC units, like, I'm just impressed beyond words. So that's why we don't have AC, because we don't have AC. So uh, next week, uh, 
Don't text the 1045ers. Just let them deal with it. You guys will be out of here before it gets too hot. So we get unpacked this. We're rolling. We're getting to the end of the gospel of John here. And I want to start off with this question. What's the best message you have ever received? What's the best words that have ever come out of a human being's mouth towards you and hit your ears and you thought, ah. Like for me, it was the pregnancy, our first pregnancy. We're at the ultrasound tech and all I've ever wanted to do is be a dad. Specifically, I really, really wanted to be a dad of a boy. Just one boy at least. Because I have the best dad in the world. I'm like, if I could somehow replicate that, I, I would just be in hog heaven. So we're in the ultrasound tech's room. Big woman with a very deep voice walking through. There is the elbow. There is the knee. And there is the, and she said the male part. And I just burst into tears. Like, I call my dad. Like, I get to be a dad of a son like you. What's the best message you've ever received? What we're coming to in John here is Jesus, risen from the dead, met with some women, is meeting with people, but he has this. We have a message now, and it's the greatest message in the world. We call it the gospel, and it's our job now to take this gospel and go forth. Jesus on the cross said, to Telestai, it is finished. It's a stamp you would put on a debt, and it says the debt is gone. Jesus did the hard work. Now we go and take the message of what Jesus has done. And what I love about this passage is we're finally to the point that I've brought up probably a dozen or so times. John says, this is why I wrote this book. And it's in verse 30. Andrew just read it. But one more time, just for the sake of abundant redundancy, this is what John says. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the gospel of John... These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What is the purpose of this book? So that we might believe. How do people believe? We take the message of who Jesus is, what he's done to people, so that they might believe. And that's what we're going to look at today. Who is this message for? We're going to see a couple unlikely characters. And then how does this message actually get delivered? Who's this message for? How does it get delivered? And we're going to all leave here, I think, more encouraged and more ready to bring the message to people in our lives. So let's pray real quick and just ask the Spirit to cool our body temperatures and prepare our minds. God, make it a little cooler in here. Send a breeze. But more than that, we need your Spirit. We're all in our own faith journeys, in our own chapters of our story, yet we all need this message. We all need to be reminded of what is the great message for this universe. And it's not about anything that humans have come up with. It is about what God in the flesh and the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth has done on this earth for people undeserving like me, like us. God, fill us up with your spirit. Send us out by the use of your word in this gathering this Sunday morning. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if I had to come up with a big idea, it's simple. This is kind of uh, Jesus is, we got it up there, Yanni. Jesus came for sinners, doubters, and for everyone in between. That's what we're going to walk through this morning. He came for sinners, he came for doubters, and anyone, wherever you fit on that spectrum of sin to doubt, all of us on that spectrum, Jesus came for. And we see it first here. Jesus came for the sinners. Go to verse 19. Andrew did a wonderful job reading this, but we're first going to see this message is for sinners, those outside the favor 
of God currently. So let's just read 19 through 23 and refresh our minds here. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Pause right there. So what is going on here? This first verse says, on the evening of that first day, where are we in the story? This is Resurrection Sunday. He goes and sees Mary and sees a few people. Mary goes and tells the disciples, hey, I saw the risen Lord. The tomb is empty, and now it's the evening, the end of the first day of the new reality for this earth, that Jesus is the risen king of the universe. This is the night of the first day. And where are the disciples? They are where they're almost always in this section of the book. They're scared. They're fearful. They're behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jews. Let's just try to enter this story for a second. Peter did foolish things. Thomas, we'll see, has lots of doubt. All of them in some way, shape, or form have let down their Lord because he is abundantly clear throughout any gospel you open up. He says this all the time. I have a mission. I came here to die but don't worry, I will rise on the third day. And he does exactly that without any blips. He does exactly what he said. And all of them are like, ah, did he really? And Mary goes and sees an empty tomb and comes back. The tomb's empty, which should say light bulbs. Oh, he is who he says he is. But they are scared and fearful and ashamed. And Jesus shows up. Now, if I'm Jesus, thankfully I'm not. And if you're Jesus... When people let you down and don't take you at your word and you come through 100% on your word and they are stuck eating crow, how do you show up in their life? I told you so. How dare you? Or some variety of, you guys are, this is the one I like, kind of being late 30s, I say this about 20, they just don't make them like they used to, like they, all generations were just better. Like Jesus shows up. And this, there's a lot of great theology in the death and resurrection. It's the core of our faith. But as we see the death and resurrection of Jesus, I don't want to miss the person. But he's in this room with these people that are like, and what's the first thing he says to them? Peace be with you. Like, what a sweet gift from the Lord. We screwed up just like the disciples. The disciples are sitting in their unbelief, their shame, their doubt. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, peace be with you. The Jewish word shalom, harmony. Hey, there's harmony with us. It's all good. Hey, we're good. Peace be with you. My, I do a lot of funerals. One of my favorite funerals is this older guy, Greg. But he came to faith later in life, and he said, hey, this is the only passage I want talked about at my funeral. And it's Romans 5.1. It says this, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus shows up and says, that's not just a verse that Paul said. That is reality. When Jesus shows up to us, he says, peace 
be with you. Like, Annette, like, what does that feel like after you've screwed up? Like, think about your biggest screw up in your marriage with your kids, whatever it may be, and you go and you go back and you actually say, this is my bad, and someone says, hey, peace, it's all good with us. Like, there is no better feeling, and they experience it right here with Jesus. Peace be with you. Now, what does, how do they respond? Verse 20, look at verse 20 with me. They respond how any Christian who gets what happens should respond. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They are full of gladness and joy. Christianity alone should be the most joyful faith on the earth because we have messed up. God has showed up in our mess and fixed it, and he comes to us. He says, peace be with you, and the disciples were glad. We're joyful, not like goofy, superficial, shallow joy, but deep, like in your belly joy, that he's got this taken care of. Dave's message last week was amazing. Like the resurrection should change everything. And part of it should be we should be disposed towards gladness, and they're glad. And now what does Jesus tell him? He's like, hey, we're good. Verse 21, now he goes into, all right, let's talk. Verse 21, he says this, and Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. You're sensing a theme. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's pause right there. Jesus says, Peace. We're all good again. And then he says, Hey, Father sent me. I'm sending you. You've got a mission now. And then he breathes on them. We'll unpack that in a second. And they, he says, you must receive the Holy Spirit. You need something for this mission that you currently don't have. And then he unpacks the mission. What's the mission? It has to do with the forgiveness of sins. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you withhold this forgiveness, they sit in their unforgiveness. And one day they're going to meet me, their maker, and come to terms with all their sin in their life. That is the mission we have as Christians. Peace. We're good. We got a mission. You need the Spirit. This, this is the mission. Forgiveness of sins people need. So I just want to unpack. There's some confusing stuff. Verse 22. Let's go look at that. This is what it says. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Pause right there. In the Greek, it just says he breathed. <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. So that's a little confusing. But just to kind of make it as simple as possible, John is one of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And they all have different angles. Mark is sort of the blog version of the Gospel. It's like very quick. It's for good for like American readers. It's like get to the point. It's lots of bullet points. Matthew is like a seminary paper. It's like, wow, you go into a lot of detail, Matthew. Just get to the point. I'm going back to Mark. Mark is short and sweet. Luke is like a short story form. It's great. And then John is like the most hippie version of the Gospels. It's like the director's cut where it's like, a little bit of story and then a whole lot of like talking about what's really happening behind the scenes. And I think what John here is doing is saying, this is what Christians need. As you fast forward, you look at Acts 2. Before the church can begin, Jesus says, wait for the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, you will have power. And John is sort of highlighting and for giving us a foretaste of what that's like. And Jesus breathes and says, receive the Spirit. We don't know if they receive the Spirit here. It just says, Jesus breathes. Receive the Spirit. Here's what we need to take from this. Every human being in the world needs to, God to breathe on them twice 
Because it says, in creation, God breathed us into creation. Psalm 139, we are fearfully wonder made. We are made by the voice of God in our mother's womb. But then we are born into sin and rebellion, and we need another breath. We need God to breathe on us again so that we can receive the Holy Spirit to fill us and help us do what we cannot do on our own. And that's what John is. He's just given a poetic, like, this is what Christianity is. God breathes on you, and you receive the Spirit, and you're new. And there's no taking the Spirit back. He is with you now and forever, and that is a good, true, enduring promise we get. But why does the Spirit need to go in us? One of the reasons is for the mission in front of us, which we see in verse 23. Let's look at this. This is one of the more complicated verses we'll get to as we open up scriptures. But here's what John says, that Jesus says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Pause right there. That's a big weight that Jesus just puts in the disciples' lap. If you, Chris Smith, forgive any sins, they will be forgiven. If you, David, withhold forgiveness, they will not be forgiven. The Catholic Church takes this as the doctrine around why the priest is the one on earth who can actually offer forgiveness and give forgiveness to people. They go to Matthew. Matthew, what is it, 16, 19? He says, whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And the Catholic Church takes that with Peter as the first pope and says, now the way people receive forgiveness is through the pope. Bounding, loosening, forgiving, withholding forgiveness. Are the Catholics right? Like, are we, should we kind of veer off our Protestantism and head back towards the mothership a little bit? No. Mark says this, who can forgive sins but God alone? Point being, no one. So here's what, there's two ways to think about this. Jesus is either saying, hey, I've given you the ability to forgive sins, you the ability, you the ability, you the ability, you, Peter, James. Or he's saying, I'm giving you the message of forgiveness that you're now to hold. Either way, those are both weighty. Like, I don't want to be the one holding the ability to forgive sins. Because I am the most biased man in the world. I win every time. We need an impartial judge. And forgiveness is offered on the cross. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, I've given you the weight of responsibility to carry this message. I punch the ticket. You go tell people how they get the ticket. Let me just read it again. Receive the Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let's just take doctrine that we don't agree with off to the side. That is still a very weighty responsibility. Jesus saying, hey, as we leave here today, if you offer forgiveness of sins, people are forgiven. If you withhold that, they will not receive forgiveness of sins. One commentator says this, Thus one could say that Jesus' followers are to make the gospel so clear that it is evident where people stand on the nature of sin. 
weighty responsibility. When these texts are understood in this perspective, it should become clear that Jesus' commission to his followers is not one of privileged judgment, but of weighty responsibility to represent the will of God in Christ with extreme faithfulness and to be honest and authentic about their evaluations or judgments. Meaning, it's a weighty responsibility. Even if we're not the ones who give forgiveness, we just tell people about forgiveness. That is a huge gift we've received and now a weighty responsibility we all hold. That's why Jesus says, hey, receive the Spirit. What you're about to embark on is heavy, and it's hard, and it's no joke. Like, how are we doing with carrying the weight of the message of forgiveness, the only message of forgiveness this world has. Like one illustration I like to think of with Christianity is our father's in the kitchen cooking. Our job is to go into the kitchen, get what he's cooking, and bring it out and pass it out. He says what I want to bring out. God says it, not me. It's not man-made words. I'm going to get God's words. I'm taking it out, and I'm passing it out. Like as you think about that illustration, are you spending like too much time in the kitchen? Are you, like, passing out your own food? Have you just left the restaurant biz altogether and you're like, ah, it's too much? D.L. Moody is a famous theologian, passed away. He's got a spot in Chicago. But there's a story that says he had a list of 100 people, non-Christians, that he was praying for. And I read that. I'm like, whoa. Like, I think I'm impressive with my three-by-five index card with a few neighbors and a few annoying family members. I'm like, I'm better than most like come on by his death 96 people had come to the lord and as story goes the last four were crossed off at his funeral service like those of you been here a while like redemption's not big on like guilt shame da 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 but i think from time to time we need to sit not with the guilt and shame but the weight of what christianity is There is a message of forgiveness, and we have it. And Jesus says, if you give it out, people will be forgiven. If you withhold it, people will not be forgiven. D.L. Moody, a hundred people. Like, who are you praying for? Who Who are you burdened for? To hear the message of forgiveness that is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. We're just delivering the meal. But we got to go into the kitchen, and we got to leave the kitchen, and we got to take it to people if they're ever to receive forgiveness. Now, one of the things I love about the Bible is oftentimes it kind of feeds into a very forward-focused, sort of masculine mentality. Like, yeah, let's take over the world. I meet with young guys, and they're always like, give me a vision that I can run through a wall for. Jesus just gave the greatest mission ever. Here's the offer of forgiveness. Go out, and people will be forgiven if you bring this message to them and they receive it, the meal you've brought. I would expect, oftentimes in Scripture, for the next story to be going out and just tackling the world with this in your bones. I can just picture a bunch of men grunting, leaving Andrew's Bible study. And the very next thing we see is not at all what you expect. But if you really are honest with what faith looks like, it's like, okay, that's really how life works. We've been given this message. Jesus has offered forgiveness. Go out and tell anyone, everyone, that they have forgiveness of sins. Let's do this. All right, test case number one. Verse 24. 
you got a guy laying down crying, sucking his thumb in the back. First, let's take care of this guy, and then we can, and then we'll go. Let's read together verse 24 and see Thomas here. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in the hands, his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All the disciples were in the room. Jesus is, there's a locked door. Jesus shows up. Peace be with you. Here's your mission. Receive the spirit and go out and offer forgiveness. Thomas is not there. Why? Because Thomas is just kind of that guy. He's not the guy you invite to the party. Three times he comes up in the gospel of John. And every time it's like, wow, sour face over here. The first time it's Lazarus is dead. Jesus is going to go perform a great miracle. And Thomas says, let's all go and die together. Get out of here, Thomas. <laughs> the next time, Jesus is saying, I, where I'm going, you're going to come with me. And Thomas is like, I don't know where you're going. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. Just like, Thomas, seriously, let's cut you out of this. <laughs> and then the third time we see Thomas is here. The disciples all hear this amazing message, see the risen Lord. They see him, and he's off in his room doubting, pessimistic. My wife would say, Realistic. Whatever you want to say, he's not the guy that's like, yeah, he's not Chris Smith. He's not throwing the party any of us wants to go to. And now we get the camera swings over before the mission to take over the world starts. Hey, let's help our brother here. Let's help a Christian insider, a doubter, into more and more faith. And all they say is this, we have seen the Lord. Verse 25, we've seen him. That's what they start with. We've seen him. And I was hit by that as I was studying for this. Like, that's all Christianity is, is I want to see and experience Jesus personally. And then I want to go out and tell people how to see and experience Jesus. That's it. That's what we're doing. I've seen and I've experienced Jesus. They said, we've seen him. Do you believe that, Thomas? Nope. Figured. I got to see this, this, this. All right. And then we see this story of Thomas, that a lot of us are familiar with because it's a famous Bible story. He's called Doubting Thomas. Like, what a name. But what do we see as the mission of God does not just head out into the woods to share it with all these barbarians, but it comes into the house where one of your own, somebody in this room, somebody in your RC, is stuck in doubt, perpetual cynicism, pessimism. How does the Lord handle our friend Thomas, I got a few things on doubt. Here's the first thing. We are more than just our shortcomings. I'll have slides if you're a note taker. Like Thomas is not called doubting Thomas by anyone in scripture. Just us mean Christians came up with that name. He's not doubting Thomas anywhere. Somebody came up with that as shorthand for that guy. He's Thomas the twin. John 11, John 14, Thomas the twin. John 20, where he doubts, he's Thomas the twin. 
which I take from that, Jesus does not label us according to our shortcomings. He's Thomas, the twin. That's it. I remember being an undergrad, taking a special education class. And I remember, I was probably 18, 19, and I had a question. It was a sweet older gentleman. It was a professor, like, picture Mr. Rogers, like, just so sweet. And I said, so with these disabled students, and he said, young man, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm like, oh, they are not disabled students. They are students with disabilities. Don't ever say that again. He is Thomas who has doubts. You are Joe who struggles with this. You are not labeled, at least the way God's economy works, by your shortcomings. He's Thomas the twin, and we're going to see him doubt, but he is just Thomas the twin. The Bible starts in Genesis 1. The next one is Genesis 2. Both of those call us this. We are image bearers of God. Genesis 3 then shows us what sin is. But before we're anything, we are made in the image and likeness of God. Thomas the twin, made in my image. I love you. You got some doubts. We'll get to that. But we are not labeled according to our shortcomings. Here's the next thing we see. We don't leave doubt behind when we start following Jesus. Thomas had seen it all. all. He's with him every step of the way. He's with Jesus. And we get to crunch time, and he's risen from the grave, and Thomas still has doubts. Like, when are you going to get to the point, now I get to the point where all the doubts have been removed from how my soul views this world? When Jesus comes back one day, our final doubt will be removed. But until then, we're going to doubt. I was just at a conference with my hero, Pastor Ray Ortland. If you don't know who he is, it's your loss, but he's amazing. He's like 73 years old. He planted a church probably 15 years ago. And right before he planted that church, he said, I went through the biggest crisis of faith I've ever been in, where I seriously started to wonder if the favor of God had been removed from my life. This is a man walking with the Lord, raising a family into the ways of the Lord, pastoring church after church, faithfully before the Lord, and he's getting close to 60, and he's stopping and wondering, is God's favor taken from me? Like, was my pinnacle back then? It was just like a reminder, like, I still got more days ahead of me where doubt and cynicism and fear are going to kick in. We all have that. Here's the third thing we see. Verse 26 says this, eight days later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Here's what I get from that. We all take time. A full week later, Jesus rose from the grave. He's around this whole week. Eight days later, one of his closest confidants and friends is when the light bulbs go on. Now, this is not prescriptive. This is just descriptive. But we all have a level of we take time to figure this out. That's what gospel plus safety plus time. That's a Ray Ortland thing. And I just love it. Why? Because it's so true. We need truth. We don't need liberalism. We need truth. We need the scriptures. We need Jesus. Fully God, fully man, but we need safe places and we need time because we all take time. My favorite parenting verse and my favorite pastoring verse are the same verse. It's in 1 Thessalonians. Paul says, here's how I want you to deal with people. This is how we should navigate relationships. He says, I urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Kick in the butt those that are lazy, which is part of parenting and part of pastoring. Encourage the faint-hearted, those who are in despair, you lift up. Help the weak. 
Those are the three categories. Lazy, faint-hearted, weak. And as I look at my kids, as I look at people in churches I'm a part of, does this person need encouragement? Does this person need some help? Does this person need a kick in the pants offered by me through the Holy Spirit and whatever I can bring to the situation? But then he says this at the end. He says, but be patient with them all. Who needs patience according to the Apostle Paul? Everyone. Why? Because we're all eight days later on a lot of important things in our life, just like Thomas. Here's the fourth thing I see. We should press into our doubts. What does Jesus invite him to do? Verse 27. Jesus says this to Thomas. This is one of the most intimate interactions between two people in the history of the universe. Verse 27. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. What does Jesus do with his doubts? Does he, like, rationalize them away? Does he scold them? No, he says, come close. There's a famous painting that shows this picture. The unbelief of Thomas, it's called. What does Jesus do? He says, come close, come close, come close. Put your finger here. Do you believe? Don't disbelieve, Thomas. Believe. That only happens as Jesus invites his doubt into a closer and more intimate relationship with Jesus. Our doubts should not be taken elsewhere. They should be taken to the church, to the people of God, to those that are going to invite you closer and closer and closer to Jesus. It's part of what's hard with just raising young people is giving them space to think through this stuff, as crazy as it is. And let them, like, be honest with their doubts so they get invited closer and closer and closer to Jesus. But how does this interaction end with Thomas? It's like, okay, this is the most beautiful response Thomas could have had. What do we see here? Verse 28, how does Thomas answer him? My Lord and my God. Pause right there. The fifth thing we see, some of our biggest breakthroughs are going to be because of our doubt, not in spite of our doubt. Thomas takes his doubt to the person of Jesus. Put your fingers here. And he says, my Lord and my God. That's beautiful. This is the only instance in all Gospels where Jesus is called God. And who gets to be the one to speak? This is my Lord. This is my God. Thomas, the one who has doubts. Take your doubts to Jesus. Like Thomas said, he says, my Lord and my God, what this is the whole point of the gospel of John, that people might believe in the pinnacle, like the highlight, the thing you can't miss that we see where it happens for someone. We see it in Thomas, the guy who was scared in another house, doubting, fearful, afraid. Put your fingers here, Thomas. How does he respond? My Lord and my God, we are all doubters. The gospel message of the person of Jesus, we go outside and we tell people about forgiveness, but we also need to turn around and pick up those of us in this room in our homes, who are like Thomas, because we all have seasons of triumph and failure, just like Thomas. Now, how do we actually have some encouragement to go forward with this message? I was meeting with a buddy of mine who works in pro sports. I won't say any names, because then you're going to bug him for tickets, and I want that only. But I said, what do you love about your job? Like, what is it? And he had a, just a sweet answer. He says, I I love this team, and a lot of people love this team. And I love being the person that's kind of the connector between fans and the thing they love most. And I get to sit in this space and use creativity and art and da-da-da 
to connect people to that which they love most. The gospel message is that God loves us a ton. Who gets to be the connector between God's love and those of us that are blind? Us. But here's the scary part. If it's all on us, there is despair and guilt and fear and shame awaiting us as soon as we leave here because we will fumble this message before we leave this door. So what encouragement does Jesus offer us in this encounter with the disciples and with Thomas? Here's the first one. He is with us on this. Go to verse 21, please. Here's our final thing. How do we go on this mission? We go on this mission knowing that Jesus is with us. Verse 21, here's the first spot I see that. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. We've talked about that. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Pause right there. The Father sent me, one verb, so I'm sending you. Different verb. Two different words to use sent. The Father sent Jesus, I'm sending you. Why would two different words need to be used for something so similar? The verb talking about Jesus being sent is a perfect verb, meaning Jesus was sent is sent and will continue to be sent. His mission has not stopped. Jesus is sent. Our verb, and I send you, is just a present tense. You've been invited into the action that Jesus has been a part of since the beginning of time. He's sent. He's going. He will go. He's doing it. He went first. He'll be the last. We get to join in on this celebration. What a gift. Like, I love hunting, and when people, you know, like to talk about hunting, sometimes they'll ask, did you grow up hunting? You know, is that? And I always say, yes, with confidence. And I was thinking about this this morning, actually. I got up, I'm like, I didn't grow up hunting. Like, I went hunting, but my dad did all the work. I was just kind of along for the ride. He would wake me up. I'd lay on his lap in his old Dodge truck. He'd drive me to the place. Sometimes he'd stop in Camp Verde. We'd get hot cocoa. He'd pay for that. I'd drink my hot cocoa. That was my contribution. I'd get back. I'd fall asleep. I'd go. He's all right, son, get, got your bow, got my bow, go out. And I'd fall asleep again on a rock because I'm so dang tired because we're up at like 3 a.m. And then he'd wake me up and say, hey, there's an elk. And he'd let me shoot, and I'd miss. And he'd go find my arrow. Did you grow up hunting? Yeah. Do you carry the mission of God? Yeah. But G just Jesus is there before you. He's doing the work. You can take a nap on his lap sometimes. He's going to wake you up when you need to be woken up. And when people ask you, what's your role in this world? I'm carrying the message of forgiveness. Knowing that Jesus is doing all the work, you're just getting invited into it. Jesus is with us. Here's the other thing I see. Jesus, there's no obstacles. There are no closed doors. Twice in this, we see there was a closed, locked door. And then Jesus appears inside. There was a closed, locked door with Thomas, and then Jesus appears. And a lot of people like to spend a lot of ink thinking, what happened there? How did he get through that door? Wow. And I just, if you care, great. I don't. Like, one day I'm going to meet the guy who cured cancer, cured AIDS, cured sin. How he gets in and out of houses is secondary. But the point the author wants us to see is there was locked doors, and Jesus appears. You made a way where there was no way, and I believe you'll do it again. We sing that song from time to time. Where does that come from? It comes from Jericho. How did the walls of Jericho fall down? 
My first dog was named Jericho because Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And how did they win? They blew trumpets. Do it again. And the walls come crumbling down. And one of my sons one time heard that story in church. I go outside later that day, and he's like, duh, 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 duh. What are you doing? Blowing a trumpet. Duh, duh, duh. Why? So the wall will fall down. Why? Because there's no, God can get through anything. The point of Jesus going through two locked doors is, hey, he'll be there. He'll get to where he needs to get to. Like as you envision people furthest from Christ in your life, picture them behind a locked door. Right now, like they're behind a locked door. And all you want for them to believe is the message of the hope of the gospel of forgiveness that Jesus offers. But they are behind a locked door. How are you going to get into that room? Jesus is going to appear there one day. And he's going to open the door and invite you in. That's how it's going to happen. Like that is amazing. No other faith offers that much just confidence in God doing so much of the work and inviting us into the story. He'll do the work. He'll open the doors. And then finally, Jesus offers peace in every situation. Two times we see locked doors. Three times we hear this. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Verse, 20, verse 19. What does Jesus say? Stood among them. Peace be with you. Verse 21, just to see it again so we can see Jesus' words. And Jesus said to them again, this is right before he gives them the mission. Peace be with you. And now Thomas is involved. Eight days later, verse 26. And Jesus came, got through these locked doors and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. One commentator said it's like this. Peace be with you. When he first meets him, it's like God offers reconciliation. Hey, there's peace between us. We're good. Romans 5.1. We are good. And then before he sends it on a mission, hey, just so you know, what you're going to need and what the world needs is peace. So peace I give you. As you go, I give you my peace. And as you stumble out the door and forget and doubt, Thomas, peace be with you. What do we need? What does this world need? It needs Jesus. But what, what, what is so obvious that this world needs right now? I'll tell you, it is peace. We are anxious and bottled up and like frantic. None of us have any sort of like peace in our life. And Jesus says this, peace I give you, Christians. As you go, peace I give you. And as you stumble out the doors, peace I give you. We get to carry the message of the good news of what Jesus has done. We get to go receive the spirit and take this to the world. And Jesus says, hey, before you go, just remember, peace be with you. That is good news. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, make us more aware of the weight that sits on us to carry your message out this door. And also make us more aware of the peace that you offer and the presence you offer and the power you give as we leave here with the message that the world needs, that there is forgiveness of sins found in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.